You're listening to Special Education Matters, a regular podcast about things that matter in special education. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and I am the proud father of an 18-year-old boy with autism. I'm here to introduce a special series we are running on our podcast, Special Education Matters. Our lead attorney, Richard Isaacs, and others will be discussing the process and steps that happen when a parent decides to work with us. In this show, California Special Needs Law Group attorney Richard Isaacs returns to talk about finding solutions for a child's specific educational needs. Enjoy the conversation. Let's talk about finding solutions now. So you've come up with what you want as a family and working with your attorney, and then it's time to request it from the district, and then you wait for a response from the district to see whether they're going to say, sure, yeah, that's what needs to be done, or here maybe what should be done instead, or we're not going to do any of it at all. Can you take us through a typical scenario where that would work out, let's say, in the parents' favor this time? Sure. So... Once we have all the outside assessments that we need, we presented them at an IEP meeting. The district has its its data, and it has offered what it feels is appropriate. Oftentimes, there's still a disagreement there, meaning that whatever our outside assessors are recommending, let's say it's a certain placement or a certain level of services, the district just doesn't think it's appropriate. And and so we're not – there's no meeting of the, of the minds. What happens at that point? And too often, parents feel the IEP is, is, is it. The district says no, and then what do, you do, what do you do next? From our perspective, from the legal perspective, it really is just the beginning of the conversation. Districts are, will often not – take risk in IEPs, they're going to offer that basic floor of opportunity, but it doesn't mean that we can't push harder because the district's going to have an obligation mm-hmm. to to either defend its offer of faith, potentially in court, or offer more services that are, that are going to address the student's needs that's going to make the student or the parents happy and thus avoid the, the litigation. Um, for example, if a student with dyslexia, you know, the district has them in some kind of say, RSP program, and our outside assessor shows that their potential is high, but their actual present levels are, are much lower than where, the, where they should be, how do we close that gap? And oftentimes, districts don't want to close the gap. What they want to do is they want to accommodate, they want to slow down the curriculum and put them in, in say, some pull-out, some push-in, or, or some kind of SDC setting. Uh-huh. But that's not really what the student needs. So and once we start the resolution, oftentimes it's filing a due process complaint, putting our recommendations, what the student needs. And it could be something, you know, Linda Mubell or some kind of educational therapist coming in with a specific program to address their learning needs and close the, the gap. Districts won't offer that in an IEP oftentimes. So we file for due process and we sit down with them at a resolution or mediation and we try to get them to fund these programs. And oftentimes we can get uh, Linda Mubel or, or any other program funded by the district, but it's going to be outside the IEP process. It's going to be in a settlement agreement. All right. We're going to talk more about that in the next talk, uh, but a couple words came up that people might not be familiar with. So tell us what a FAPE is. So FAPE is the district's obligation to provide a free, appropriate public education. Free is, is, is obvious. It's the government. They have to provide the education. The key is appropriate. And what is appropriate for one student is not always appropriate for a, a different student. And the, the courts have ruled on what appropriate is, and it really is what's meaningful to, to that specific student. So they have to make meaningful progress. They don't have to they don't actually have to make a year's progress in a year. They don't have to meet all their goals, but they got to be progressing. 
And that's where the where the fight usually comes down to. The district also only has to provide that basic floor of opportunity. And I say basic floor of opportunity, that's what the courts use. Mm-hmm. And the courts have also used that they don't have to provide the Cadillac level of services. They just have to provide the Pontiac. And if parents want the students to achieve or maximize their potential, then the parents have every right to go out and fund it. Now, our job, I feel, is, is uh, defending the rights of students is really to get the district to provide much more than that basic uh, level of, of opportunity and get a much higher level of services where the district's going to um, jump on board with. And that's usually a fight, but we, you know, 97% or 94% of cases settle. And with the right data, the right experts, and if we put to, put the case together correctly, there's no reason that we can't get the district on board to provide the services that the student needs. Now, you also mentioned SDC, so I'm assuming that's special day class. It is. So in the districts go back and forth on what they call these placements. Um, oftentimes what they're going to do, and this is a scary thing with these RSP programs or the special day class, is a student, let's go back to the dyslexia example, they may be struggling academically and not up to their potential. So they, they may put a student in an all-day, say, mild to moderate special day class mm-hmm. in fourth grade. All of a sudden, they go through the next four or five years, they're still in the special day class. The time they enter high school, they're off diploma track. They've never closed that learning gap. Another example is we, we've had students graduate high school reading at a second, third grade level, and we've been able to push for really intensive intervention, getting them up reading past the 12th grade level after about six months. And the district you know, wasted six years of their time where they've, they've never, they, they failed to make any progress at all. So it's really identifying what the student needs, identifying the specific programs, that's where the outside assessments come with, and then pushing the, the district to provide that. Oftentimes, with a, a level of services that many students need, it's probably gonna have to happen outside the IEP, meaning we're going to enter a settlement agreement. Now, there are exceptions, and we can get really good services, especially the district is going to provide them, um, built into the IEP, which is always the, the best way because the whole team is on board and in agreement what the student needs. All right, so we're going to talk up next about what happens if we don't agree, and then we can talk about things like the due process complaint that you mentioned already. But up to this point, do you really need an attorney? Could you work with, say, an advocate for the beginning stages and then really you need to move on to an attorney as soon as you have to file a due process complaint because that's a specialized sort of expertise that you need. Right. I, advocates can definitely handle it all the way up to the litigation point. And, and the key, and this is where parents run into the most trouble when they try to go alone. Even if you go out and get an outside assessment and the district funds it, the district's going to direct you towards assessors that they work with often. And, mm-hmm. and what, we, what we see in a lot of these cases is the recommendations are meaningless, meaning they may assess, but the recommendations have no teeth. They will not take a stance. And so when we get involved in cases like this, we look at the assessment, we just can't use it. We don't know what the student needs. Um, or the assessor just wants to work within the system, meaning, okay, well, it's just going to be RSP services. An advocate's going to direct, or an attorney is going to direct the family to experts that can really identify what's what's going on with the student. But more, well, equally as important, they're going to have clear recommendations of what the student needs. And then at that point, if the district says no, it can definitely go legal. Um, we can get involved or other attorneys can get involved and take those recommendations and put them against what the district is offering. And we do that in a legal framework with the idea that we're going to reach a resolution. But prior to that, it sounds like an advocate would be okay. And there's different fees or, you know, advocates less expensive. 
uh, versus an attorney who is more expensive. But of course, on the, on the flip side, it is settlements often can include attorney's fees. And so if you had an attorney along the whole way, maybe that would include all the fees versus an advocate who you would have had to pay along the way. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's a back and forth choice, I guess. It is. I, I take the position, and I've been talking to a lot of opposing counsels too, meaning the attorneys that work for school districts. I don't think attorneys really should be at IEP meetings. We go, we have to pre- present information. I think it's a great place for advocates. And I always consider advocates equal to the district administrator, in a sense, a special ed director who knows the resources of the school mm-hmm. district. By bringing an advocate in, you're having somebody who also knows the resources of the school districts, that knows how to how to read and present assessments and, and talk about goals. And you're getting that a level of expertise that's really good for the IEP team. And most advocates have a connection. Either they have an education background, but they um, they were formal, f- former teachers, special ed teachers, parents who've just been to t- you know dozens and dozens of IEP meetings. But they, br- they bring an education sophistication to the IEP meeting, whereas an attorney, we're looking at the law. What does the law say? And then what does the law give you the ability to 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 get in terms of services? Uh, the IEP team, the educators, an advocate really shines in that setting. So we'll talk, let's go ahead and stop now. And then the next show, we're going to talk about what it's like to, you know, when you have to move to protect the educational rights in the form of a due process complaint. Thanks for listening to another edition of Special Education Matters. For more information, including show notes, head to our website, csnlg.com slash listen. And if you like what you hear, please uh, consider giving us a review on iTunes. Those reviews bring us lots of happiness. I'm your host, Michael Bull, and we will talk again soon.